when you think about the two in the canoe, so many people are in that canoe with somebody else and they're flailing and have no idea where they're going or how to get there together. So our idea of meaningful partnership is that quiet, peaceful lake, two in a canoe, paddling together towards a common goal. Welcome to the My Future Business Show, where we get you in front of your best audience and keep you there. Not only are we interviewing the biggest names in business to help you become even more successful, we're inviting you to book your spot on the show to help you grow your business. So at the end of the call, make sure you fill in the interview application form at myfuturebusiness.com forward slash interviews. Hello and welcome back to the My Future Business Show. My name is Rick Nusky. This is the My Future Business Show, the show that gets you in front of your best audience and keeps you there. Now on today's show, I have the wonderful pleasure of introducing Tim Franz to the show. Welcome to the show, Tim. Thank you. Thanks for having me today, Rick. Yes, absolutely. My, my pleasure. Now, we've just briefly uh, touched on the fact that we're going to be talking about uh, your work in terms of teamwork and leadership and your book work with uh, and uh, co-authorship with Seth and the work with Lauren that you're doing. And, uh, you know, we're going to take a deep dive into these topics. But before we can do any of that, Tim, I would love to learn more about you. How about we spend a couple of moments doing that? That's great. Excellent. Well, well where's home for you? I'm in Rochester, New York, which is upstate New York, uh, probably about 500 kilometers from uh, New York City. So when that's, people say New York State or New York, they yes. immediately think New York City is well, uh, almost as far away as we can get. Yeah. Yeah, I was thinking that. That's interesting, isn't it? Now, um, have you lived there all your life, Tim? No. Um, uh, oddly, I was born in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. I grew up in a suburb of Rochester, New York, but I have also lived in um, Buffalo and uh, New York City Metro and Chicago and Indiana. And coming back to take this job at St. John Fisher College was uh, a move home for me, so to speak. So I like the fact that you've moved around because I find that those who have uh, lived in different places get a bit of a different feel about cultures in the local areas. What's uh, moving around taught you? Is there any difference in, in, in cultures and the way people behave, do you think? Oh, absolutely. And I, I, I'm just going to pick very briefly New York City versus Chicago. Oh, yes. Um, New York City is very busy um, and people really don't even notice. When I was there, it didn't seem like people would notice you. Where Chicago, uh, people were much more friendly. They had that Midwestern attitude. And my, my wife's from Michigan. She's not from this area. Yep. And she says Rochester is very Midwestern, even though it's in New York State. <laughs> <laughs> so tell me, you, you touched on growing up earlier. Where was it that you grew up and what can you remember of that time? Well, I grew up in a suburb of Rochester. It was Webster, New York, so a different suburb than I live in now. Um, and it was a much smaller community than it's grown to be, this whole area. Rochester, New York, uh, it's really become a major metropolitan area in New York State. And so um, it's changed dramatically. I, I said, <laughs> this is embarrassing, but I told my mother um, uh, uh, years ago, and uh, she has since died, but okay. I told her years ago that... Um, I would never move back to Rochester, New York, and here I am, uh, back and loving the area. <laughs> I like to be outdoors, and uh, there's a lot to do outdoors here. Well, I was going to ask you about that. What other things that you enjoy doing? You know, what sort of hobbies and sports? What do you get into? Well, I love to mountain bike and ski. Uh, I'm a member of National Ski Patrol Very nice. at a local ski resort, and I'm actually uh, part of National Ski Patrol in the summer 
for mountain biking. Um, last night, I was out on our sailboat on Lake Ontario, one of the Great Lakes, and mm-hmm. you can't see across it. It's a large lake, so um, so I like to be outdoors, hike, bike, ski, um, uh, be on the kayak or the sailboat. So that's really what I like the most. Because that was going to be another question, is what uh, drew you back to the place? I mean, there must have been something that stuck out for you. Clearly, it's the environment. Yes, it's really that there's so much to do in this area. And family, my family, part of my family is still around here. So um, came back for family and also really like the area. Thank you. A lot of people complain about the snow, but uh, I love snow. I love snow too, absolutely. We've been touching a little bit on, you know, family and those around you. Um, It's always really interesting to find out um, from my guests um, who are the people in your life that have helped shaped you into the man that you've become today, do you think? Oh, absolutely, my parents. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I still have a great relationship with my father. Um, he is in many ways uh, my hero. I mean, yep. that I think it's an overused statement, but he really, uh, he is the kind of person that I always wanted to become. Um, he still is such a, a wonderful and kind person so and both That's my excellent. parents i had a great relationship with my mom too uh, yep. but, like I said, yeah no i understand so around. tim are you a, a pet lover i am Very we have good. a dog and two cats um so uh, uh all of our pets are 13 oh wow <laughs> now you know tim that, so. <laughs> that, that the show wouldn't be complete unless you shared their names with us what are their names ah uh, so we have our uh, we have a Vishla Hungarian pointer. He's his name is Charlie. Yes. And then, um, yeah, I hope you get the reference. But our cats are Calvin and Hobbes. Um, <laughs> and Hobbes, of course, is the orange tiger. <laughs> of course, of course, of course. Now, Tim, yeah. you are very educated. You've spent a lot of time, um, you know, you know, in the in the university sector and doing the work that you've done to get to the heights that you are. I think, uh, for the sake of context, we'll talk a little bit about your educational background. But prior to that, I just want to know, given how much you do know and um, what you've learned along the way, is ongoing education important for you? Do you think? Oh, absolutely. And I, I, you talked about my co-author, Seth, and I am going to give a little quote from him that I embraced years ago. I've known Seth and, and Lauren, my other quarter, for years. Yes, and we'll talk about um, her Seth, in a moment. Uh, yeah. Seth, um, uh, he said years ago to me, uh, and I love this quote, it's, he calls them silver bullets, his consulting little uh, Yes, yes. But he said, with no reflection, there's no learning. With no learning, there's no change. With no change, we stagnate and fail. And I really think about that in terms of lifelong learning and lifelong reflection, thinking about what we know, what we can take on that's new, and uh, how we can figure out what we don't know yet and get that information that we need. I reckon I could fill a, a warehouse with the things I don't know rather than the things <laughs> that I do. That's for sure uncertain. Yeah. Now, I think uh, you could explain this better than I could, uh, Tim. Would you mind sharing a little bit about your educational background? Sure. I went to college at one of the state universities in New York. There's quite a few of them. I went to the college at Oneonta. And then immediately afterwards, I got my master's in psychology from the University at Buffalo, another one of the uh, universities in New York State. Uh, Then I worked in 
management consulting in and around New York City and then later in Chicago uh, for over five years. Mm -hmm. And that is really what has flavored how I think about my academic work. So after five years in consulting, I went back and got my doctoral degree in social and organizational psychology from the University of Illinois in Chicago. Uh, and then I've been working in two different universities since then. Wow, that's incredible. Thank you for sharing. It's just wonderful. Some of the, the talent that we have on this show just blows my mind and uh, you're certainly adding to that. So thank you very much. Now, I, I wonder, there's a very important question I've not yet asked you. What sort of music do you enjoy? Oh, I am stuck in a, um, late 80s new wave and uh, punk. Oh, excellent. Wow. You College never, days. <laughs> <laughs> You'll never break away from it. You'll never break away from it. Now, we're going to be talking a bit about the pandemic and how it's changed the dynamics of uh, relationships with coworkers and the likes in a, in a while. But I also wonder how it's affected you personally. Have you had to change your, uh, I guess, your behaviour at home? Have you been locked down? What's your life look like at the moment in that regard? Right now, things are pretty good in upstate pretty good. New York. Excellent. Uh, we live in a community that's highly vaccinated, and mm -hmm. so things are pretty good right now. But as you know, this is a constantly changing environment. Oh, yeah. So um, I, I joke about, uh, you know, the problems. We all have faced these problems from this pandemic. Uh, you know, change in work environment, uh, online environment. I don't get to see students as often or as well as I used to. And mm. that's what I love the most. I'm a of college course. professor at heart. Yeah, yeah. And so it's really changed all that. But then I, I also joke about what I call the pandemifits. Um, and pandemifits. Uh, pandemifits. That. That's yeah. excellent. <laughs> there have been some pandemifits. So one is this book that Seth and I wrote. We yes. had time to do it. And another pandemic fit is, if you had asked me three years ago to jump on Zoom at, you know, here in upstate New York, it's the evening, and yes. in the evening, I'd be like, oh, I'm going to worry about this. What camera do I have? What yes. sound system? Now Hello. I have multiple yeah. cameras, multiple sound systems, <laughs> multiple monitors. Um, you know, so there have been some pandemics from this. Um, it's changed the way we do work for good and bad. Uh, so as a teams person and team development, it's really changed the way we work in teams. And again, for the positive and the negative. So I wonder, um, I know that you've had a fair amount of time to have downtime, but there are people that work in, in uh, businesses, they're you know, all about getting the job done and they spend an inordinate number of hours um, doing their jobs. What do you say to those who try to burn the candle at both ends? Do you think downtime is important? How do you do it? Oh, absolutely. Downtime is important. And I think this pandemic, at, at, at the start especially, people were giving 110% all mm. the time. And people are burning out. I, I assume you see this down there, but people are burning out at work. Absolutely. Because they're not taking that downtime. Um, and it is hard. It does change the environment. And it does create this background stressor that we all have to deal with. I mean, I think about... I said earlier when you asked what I, I do. Well, I'm a volunteer first responder for state mm. patrol. And, you know, it's changed the way we have to work with 
people who are injured out there and how we have to think about the situations that we're putting ourselves in. And that's only my volunteer work. I can't mm. imagine being somebody who's working uh, like friends of mine who work on uh, floors in the hospital, the COVID floors. And they're yep. really getting burned out by Absolutely. what's going on and just this never ending um, time when they're going to deal with the front line of this. They are absolute soldiers out there serving the community worldwide and they are a blessing to us. They are our angels. Now, I know, um, you know, we talk about risk. They're certainly exposed to risk. Um, Your volunteer work, you'd be exposed to risk. But from a corporate perspective, love to talk about risk in that sort of situation. Um, What do you say to people that are risk averse? Do you think that there's a a spot for them to um, be effective? Oh, uh, I absolutely. I, I, and I think it's harder for people who are risk averse in this kind of environment. Mm. Uh, absolutely. But uh, they, I, I'm going to go back to that pandemic. It's some people who are risk averse have found new ways to go about doing things that is um, really effective. Uh, I think there are people who this I think about people, there are people I know who have very high anxiety and are risk averse, and it's been difficult for them. I know here in um, the U.S., mental health counseling services have been, um, the need for them has been skyrocketing uh, because people are so concerned about this level of risk that they're dealing with all the time. Uh, Absolutely, yeah. We all face it. I mean, I'm I'm at St. John Fisher College, and uh, we are a face-to-face uh, school, and I'm in there every day uh, on campus wearing my mask and yep. uh, interacting with the students as best I can with yeah. the mask. That's a- it's, it's, it's become, you know, almost like a faceless society. I know why we're doing it, you know, but it, it feels very, you know, robotic almost. You know, you can't see each other's expression. If you can read people's eyes, I guess you can take something from that, but hey. Um, Tim, I, I want to talk about, um, I know that you've co-authored a book and you've probably written other books that we've not uh, touched on here yet, maybe. Um, but I'm wondering, um, are you there? Hello? Hello? Yep, I'm here. Hello? Uh, hello? Are you still? Um, I've lost your video. Can you turn your video back on? I turned oh. my video. I turned my video off because we were having a. No, I don't know what we got strong connection here. Sometimes it happens with Zoom, but anyway, given that yeah. you've uh, you know spent time writing this wonderful book, Meaningful Partnerships at Work, I'm wondering, um, do you have much time for books, and what do you read or listen to if you do? Well, I I don't actually listen to books. My wife loves to listen to books, and I just can't. It can't do work. it. Um, I, I get lost. I don't pay attention. <laughs> I pay ADHD. I, I've learned as an adult. And so I, I can't listen to books. But I read a wide variety of books. Uh, I'm in a book club with some friends of mine. Excellent. And, uh, it, it's great because I read things that I would never have read. So right now we're reading a, a local book. It's by a local journalist. Uh, and um, he writes about the history of Rochester, but not historical writing. It's more writing in terms of connections with people 
and his life and what he saw. So it's a really interesting book. Uh, and again, because of this book club, we, uh, we switch between fiction and nonfiction. I'm always reading things sometimes that I can't stand. But, <laughs> you know, oh, well. I love it. I love it. Now, I love the tactile nature of a book, that physical feel, you know, the smell of an old book. You can't beat it, can you? I, I'd love to, yeah. uh, um, in turn, ask you about when you pick up a pen. Is there power in the pen still, do you think? I think so. I absolutely think that um, writing says something when you spend some time. Um, so I'm going to put this in two different ways. Power yes, please. Physically, actually writing something in pen. So I tell my students when they write thank yous for job interviews to write them, to not type them, to not email them, but to actually write them with a pen. Because in today's society, that makes you stand out. It makes you see something that others haven't done. So mm -hmm. when you want to make a point, writing something with pen, signing a book in pen, writing handwriting a note, Yep. Uh, in pen makes a difference. Now, in uh, figuratively, the power of the pen, I think spending time to write something that is uh, really a meaningful piece of work where you've spent a lot of time editing, not an email, not a quick, um, you know, I, I, I have a lot of blog posts I write. Um, I, I, <laughs> I have to admit, those come out very quickly. You know, <laughs> I bet they do. <laughs> um, they, they are not as um, uh, edited as, uh, you know, the power of the pen, as you mm. put it. That, mm -hmm. uh, when you're really writing something for others that is going to be long-lasting, that's on paper. Yep. Even if it's printed on, you know, typewritten and edited in a word processor, it, yep. it still, to me, is very powerful. Thank you for sharing, because I, 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 don't, I don't think we should lose those sorts of skills, should we? I mean, they're, they're, they are things that, you know, that a word process, processor can never replace, you know, this digital pen versus, uh, you know, the ink onto the page. It's, it's a wonderful experience. Thank you very much for sharing. Now, I'd love to know. And they all know. have their place. I oh, love yeah. my digital pen on my iPad. Oh, yeah. But it has its purpose. It has its purpose. It's, it's not for every purpose. Now, I'd love to shift our conversation to um, your organization, um, Friends Consulting. I'd love to know where this came from. What was the genesis of your organization? Why did it come together? Well, Friends Consulting is my side business because my full-time job is uh, as a college professor. Of course. And yep. it, it, came, it came about because I, I, I started um, my first real uh, uh, managing a ski shop, I don't count as my first real career. <laughs> you know, in management consulting, that was my first real career. I was in there for five years before going oh, back wow. to get my PhD. And yep. as I said earlier, that really meant something. I'm an industrial and organizational psychologist, and we embrace the scientist-practitioner model, which means we know and use the science, but we don't just leave it in the science, we use it in the field, and anything we do in the field is informed by science, and our science is informed by the field. So having the consulting business, one, it taps what I did before I went back to get my PhD, and, and two, it really allows me to bring to life my teaching because I've done these things in the real world. It's not just abstract from the textbook. So when I talk about team development sessions or doing applied survey work or 
focus groups in an organization, it's not because I've read it in a book. It's because I do it, and I do it through this friends consulting uh, organization. Yes. Now, that's that's excellent. I, I wonder, and, and this is obviously the offshoot of all of this work with Seth uh, and po- uh, potentially Lauren to a point, um, became this book, Meaningful Partnership at Work. Now, before we jump into the book and talk about that, can we talk a little bit about Lauren and your relationship with her? Well, Lauren and I have a, a different book together. Um, and it's called Making Team Projects Work. And we have a right. second version of that coming out. The first version is for... Uh, college and high school educators. Now, Lauren and I have worked together. uh, Actually, I met Lauren and Seth separately, but at about the same time, early 2000s. And Lauren and I are both group dynamic specialists, me in terms of team development in the workplace, and she's a small group communication specialist. And so we co-taught for many years. And uh, we decided uh, a few years ago to write this book about how to make teams better in the classroom because we see so many professors who either one won't do team projects in the class because they don't know how or two don't do them well because they've never really learned Um, and so our first book is really targeted at the the, the classroom teacher we have a second book that we're almost done with that is a corresponding handbook it matches the the teacher handbook and it's for the students so the students and the teacher will have matching books that have matching chapters and matching content. Um, the student version is about half the length, maybe even less. So, um, so that's my work with Lauren. It's a long-standing relationship, co-teaching, um, doing some research together, and, and it really came together with these these the first book that's published and the second one that's coming out. I always hear this uh, word relationships. It's it crystallizes our ability to uh, almost like uh, you know bring two minds together and come uh, come out with something incredible. And that's what's happened here with the meaningful partnership at work. I've obviously gone through the book myself. It's a wonderful read, and I'd love to talk about that in some depth. But let's start off about uh, inside of the book, uh, the metaphor uh, for partnership two in a canoe. Oh, Seth and I use this metaphor throughout the book and <laughs> if you uh, what's fun is um we have an image it was taken for the book but it turns out it didn't fit anywhere and it's the two of us i see it our, yeah yeah did you see that <laughs> I, see jacket? It. It, it, I got a bit of a giggle <laughs> out canoe. it's my, uh, mine and liz's i canoe, love it but, uh, <laughs> it was a great one um fun picture and a, a great publicity stunt really yeah. but um the two in the canoe this idea of two in the canoe is that what we hope for at work, really with a partner on our team or what Seth and I talk about a lot, a leader and the team together, we're really thinking about how can we get people to be paddling together peacefully, in sync, in the same direction, moving towards a common goal. That's the idea of two in a canoe. And and when I think about canoeing, when things are going well, when I have a good partner in the canoe, when I'm with my wife Liz and we're paddling along a quiet lake, we're just moving that canoe silently forward together without a lot of communication because we've spent a lot of time figuring out how to do that together. We know what each other is going to do. We have these clear expectations about how to act to get to this common place. Now, I've also been in a canoe with people who don't know what they're doing. Oh. 
and people are switching the canoe around and the canoe's tipping. And when you think about that workplace, that's what so many people live in. You know, oh, yeah. More than half of people out there are not really satisfied at work. And so when you, when you think about the two in the canoe, so many people are in that canoe with somebody else and they're flailing and have no idea where they're going or how to get there together. So our idea of meaningful partnership is that quiet, peaceful lake, two in a canoe, paddling together towards a common goal. That's a great explanation. I, and I've rem- I can recall myself in a canoe and just sle- uh, seamlessly gliding across the glass and how easy it was. And it's just such a great example of what you can think about if you're an, in a workplace and you are struggling, you think, is this rough water? Am I in the rapids here? Where do I want to be? And I think the Meaningful Partnership at Workbook is going to help clarify that. Now, inside of this wonderful book, Tim, you talk about a workplace covenant. What is that? So the covenant, and it's not a religious term. We talk no, a lot of understood. people think covenant, think of it as a religious term. Mm. It really is uh, a agreement between two parties. And again, our common example in the book is a leader, a team leader, and the team. Um, and it's a, an agreement they have about what they are going to do together, how they are going to, back to two in a canoe, move forward together. Now, the idea of a workplace covenant, and I, I want to give credit here where credit is due, it's Seth's idea, and he has been gracious enough to, to bring me along for the ride. He talked to me about this idea, the workplace covenant, back uh, mid-2000s, maybe 2006, 2007, mm-hmm. and he said, oh yeah, I do this thing called a workplace covenant. And he told me about it, and I said, wow, the academic in me said there's research opportunity i see the theoretical build on this i know where it came from and he just said it works you know so we really had the science practice together with (laughs) him practicing this and me thinking about the underpinnings the theoretical ideas and so we've been working together to hone this to improve it now the idea of you can say that yeah yeah the idea of a covenant, the workplace covenant, is you bring two parties, again, usually leader team together, and you have them talk about their obligations to each other. So you bring a leader, and the leader talks about their obligations to the team so that yep. the team feels supported and can be successful. This is not a fall. It's, it's not going out and doing a ropes course. This is about workplace behaviors. So what can the leader do? so that the team feels supported and can be successful. And then the team separately looks at their expectations of the leader so that the leader knows what they need. And the covenant process merges these two lists so that the expectations get merged onto the leader's obligation list. So then the leader has a set of obligations that they're comfortable with and willing to act on and willing to receive feedback about, willing to talk about and get rated on in the future. Now, the same corresponding process happens with the team. The team sets out and lists their obligations to the leader. The leader lists their obligation, their expectations of the team. Those lists are merged. The team is then uh, has a list of signed 
the obligatory weight of a signature. That's oh, yes. why we use the term covenant, because mm -hmm. it is actually signed, and that carries obligatory weight. I agreed to this. It's a contract. It's a behavioral contract between the leader and team, but it focuses on obligations. Now, the reason we love this and what made me so excited about it is leadership books put the onus on the leader. They say the leader should do this, the leader should do that, the leader should do these other things. Seth's specialty is leadership. You know, he talks about that leadership stuff. I, my specialty is team development. And the team development literature says the team should do this, the team should do that, the team should do the other thing. Well, this gets at the space in between. It's not a leadership book. It's not a team development book. It's in between. How yep. does the leader and the team work together back to two in a canoe, gliding forward towards a common goal? That's a great explanation once again. This is a book that seems to me that should be on the desks of every executive through to um, anybody else who are in the businesses. Now, how do you distribute this book? Is this something that uh, you do give to organisations? Is is it used well, as a learning tool? Uh, it, it can be, absolutely. So in the book, we actually give away the process. Uh, it's kind of interesting. Uh, we lay out how to how important meaningful partnership is, how to do a workplace covenant. There are stories in the book about covenants and how they change behavior in the workplace. So we're not saving this. We're, it's in the book. And so how do we distribute the book? Um, the book is available on Amazon through mm. our, our publisher, Taylor and Francis, through Taylor and Francis Rutledge. Uh, it's yes. A bunch <laughs> of on. them yes, together. Yes. We're in the productivity <laughs> press part. But um, uh, I, hopefully people start to notice this. Certainly we do work around this. We're working with, together, Seth and me are working with um, four different organizations right now. Actually, surprisingly, three of them are academic institutions uh, where the <laughs> leader and the team really need some help um, yep. to get back in alignment and get back and uh, try to rebuild that partnership that they, that they really need to be successful. Um, so, yes, we do absolutely distribute them when we do our work, but yep. uh, hopefully I, I agree with you that this is something that so many executives uh, – could could use today mm. you know this is this this idea of treating people uh with giving them value making sure they feel respected and acknowledged and heard and having a forum that's psychologically safe to do it this is not really new um we have a new idea for how to do it mm -hmm. you know treating people well at work is a um Something that people have been talking about since the early 1900s. So, it's <laughs> not is you, a, is it? A specific way to do it in a way that, like I said, is psychologically safe, especially for the team, because the team creates one list together, not targeting any person. Now, um, I'm interested. Obviously, we've talked about being able to find the book on Amazon. Now, if anybody wants to learn more about you or connect with you, where else are they going to be able to find you, Tim? Oh, I am on, I'm active on LinkedIn, uh, very active on LinkedIn. I try to get out a blog post or an article each week. Mm -hmm. um, I'm, I'm on Twitter, but I, I don't do anything with that. Um, but LinkedIn is probably the easiest place. I also have a, a website, uh, teambuildingprocess.com, where 
back to giving things away. There's lots of blog posts on it. There's uh, materials that you can use in the classroom or at work right away. Uh, so my, my website and LinkedIn are really the two best places. One of the joys of being a college professor is my email is public out there. So <laughs> yep. team friends at sjfc.edu. It's everybody, yes. everybody can get it. Yeah. Absolutely. Thanks again, Tim. Now, that uh, website is teambuildingprocess.com. And to find the book, which is uh, Meaningful Partnerships at Work, just go to Amazon, no matter where you see or listen to this call, which has been wonderful, might I say, Tim. Uh, you will find the links back to Tim and Seth and Lauren and all the work that's going on around this wonderful group of of individuals and with that being said tim thank you so very much for joining me on the my future business show today thanks for having me i really appreciate it thanks for joining us today if you enjoyed the call then make sure to subscribe leave a comment share us with your friends and book your spot on the show at myfuturebusiness.com forward slash interviews and if you're looking for solutions that will help grow your business, then visit myfuturebusiness.com forward slash shop.